Throughout these cloudy times, Misty Tumpolis, our publisher and the founder of Artslandia, has been a beacon of light for me. Here's a message from Misty to you. While uncertainty is the state of things, and I wish I had a magic eight ball that could predict the future, Artslandia will continue to serve this community moment by moment. This is my promise. Check out Artslandia.com every day for happy hours, good news, and podcasts to keep your creative curiosity satisfied. And if you're enjoying Artslandia.com and all that it has to offer, we hope you will consider purchasing a 2020-2021 Artslandia annual magazine. Your purchase will help us get through this difficult time and allow us to continue our work in the future. Purchase your copy at Artslandia.com, and it will be mailed directly to your home in August. We are grateful to spend time at home with you. I really didn't know how to start the podcast today. I thought and thought, how can I pay attention to those we have lost? So I went to poetry, which is one of my go-tos, and I came up with an excerpt from When Lilacs Last in the Dooryard Bloomed by Walt Whitman. Oh, how shall I warble myself for the dead one there I loved? And how shall I deck my song for the large sweet soul that has gone? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. I'm Susanna Mars. We're back, kind of, at Dead Aunt Thelma's, thanks to the magic work of our engineer, Mike Moore. Thanks, Mike. Today, I'm talking to playwrights Larissa Fasthorse and Will Eno. I met Larissa when Artist Rep produced her play, The Thanksgiving Play, and I met Will virtually when his play, Wakey Wakey, was produced at Portland Playhouse. Larissa is a Sikangu Lakota Nation playwright, director, and choreographer, currently based in Santa Monica. She always wrote on scrap pieces of paper growing up, but never pursued creative writing formally or even had a consistent journal. It wasn't until later that she returned to her love of writing in a professional context. And Will Eno is a Residency 5 Fellow of the Signature Theater, which presented Title and Deed in 2012 and The Open House in 2014. His play, Wakey Wakey, premiered there in 2017. The Realistic Joneses appeared on Broadway in 2014, and it won a Drama Desk Award. And I love the fact that your website says, Will Eno, he's just like you, except worse. <laughs> Thanks. It's wonderful to be with you, uh, Susanna. <laughs> and that's nice. That poem was a, it was a great way to start. And it does, it feels, I just came back from doing our once every 12-day grocery store run and we're, we're my wife and daughter and I are up in New Hampshire and you know it it um it it's hard to know how to begin things because there's a sort of extra distance we've got to fight through it there's maybe a surgical mask to get past when you're sort of smiling hello to somebody or something <laughs> like that and um but anyway it's really really wonderful to be here and it's it's great to meet uh, Larissa yeah it was fun to to introduce you to so so like we have to pretend we're somewhere. So I figured you guys are playwrights. So maybe you can set a, a place for us to be and then I can introduce you to and you can talk for a minute. Oh, that's Ooh. nice. Wow. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I have nowhere, sorry. I, I'll, I'll be honest too, and just to acknowledge where we're starting, it's been a rough week. You know, I have an extended family that um, maybe not making it. It's been in the hospital for quite some time and from COVID and we've lost... Here in Los Angeles, where I am right now, we lost um, 
uh, Diana Rodriguez. Um, and it's been a really, uh, she's a titan of theater in Los Angeles, Southern California, but also nationally. So it's been a rough week. So I'll be honest, I'm, I, I'm a little scattered. Um, and, but that's why we're here talking, right? Is that yeah. all the things that are happening right now. So um, I, if you have a place, Will, well, I'll, I'll know, go there. <laughs> no, I, um, I think, Suzanne, I think that's a lovely invitation. And then I also think sometimes, uh, and maybe not just not just now, I think I think reality is in some way the hardest place to sort of imagine yourself into. So mm-hmm. I'm happy pretending that I'm in uh, a abandoned ski town in New Hampshire and um, Larissa is in Big Bear. I'm in uh, an abandoned ski town in California. <laughs> right, all right. Uh, and I'm really Charles close to a ski town in Damascus, Oregon. All right, and Mike oh, yeah. is near. Mike is near his greenhouse with his blueberries and his Meyer lemons and. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's actually pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> An interesting place to start. Um, <laughs> skiing. Who knew skiing was such a central part of uh, the American experience? <laughs> so, um, Larissa, you've never met Will. Will, you've never met Larissa. Um, how have you guys been doing? And Larissa, you already shared about your your family is really in a difficult place right now. I'm, I'm, my heart goes out to you all. Thank you. Yeah. Um, how, what's it like in your neighborhoods right now? I, you know, are are you seeing people or how is how is that? Uh, also, for us, I know it's odd because we live in two, between two different um, tourist towns. We live in Santa Monica, California, near the beach. And then we live up here in Big Bear, California, which is, as we said, a ski town. It has two ski resorts. And um, it's very odd because we're used to fighting not fighting but yeah often fighting <laughs> endless mm-hmm. tourism um and it's it's interesting because tourism is what both of our you know towns survive on and what gives us the quality of life that we have um so close to such a huge city like los angeles um because of tourism but we uh you know now we see tourists and everyone freaks out you know because we did mm-hmm. this past easter weekend we had a lot of tourists come up here illegally um, renting, you know, Airbnb places. Um, and it was really scary because we, you know, we're supposed to be sheltering. We're supposed to be, you know, have elderly parents we care for that are with us. And the same when we left Santa Monica, so we left Santa Monica because it was just flood. The beach was flooded with tourists daily, large groups of people hanging out, playing volleyball, doing dog training, you know, all this right up till now um, it's continued. And so, we came up here and it, during the week it's better and we don't see people, but on the weekends we still get flooded with tourists, which is really disappointing. I, I'm curious as you're speaking about that, because we've talked in the past about um, the native experience. And again, it feels this entitlement of people coming into your space and endangering your life. I would imagine that speaks to you on a very deep level. Yeah, definitely. But I, I mean, also, though, interestingly, and I think it's something we talked about before, too, with the Thanksgiving play, right, was that Native people online, anyway, have been saving me in this. Because I have to say, most Native folks, I mean, yes, we take it seriously. Yes, people are dying in our own families and all. But, you know, the, the Native folks nationally generally are like, you know what, not our first pandemic people. Like, we've been through much worse. Yeah, we survived so many of these. Um, it, it, there's a lot of... Uh, really fantastic humor going on right now in the native communities online um fantastic uh, cynical humor which is what i love um and they're they're really uh hunkering down and 
And although, you know, some tribes are doing very terribly, like the Pueblo tribes in New Mexico and the Navajo folks are really being hit unbelievably high rates at unbelievably high rates with this. Um, overall, it's been really lovely to have the saving grace of being a part of the Native community and have people be able to uh, look at this with a certain amount of humor. It's really saved me. Can you share a couple of those sites? Um, so I, my favorite thing has, although it's gotten pretty unruly, is there on Facebook, there's a social distance powwow. And um, it was started by some uh, some folks that just as a small little thing with a few hundred people. Now it's like 150,000 or something. Um, but oh. they actually hold powwows, virtual powwows every weekend. They have powwow announcers and all the bad, horrible humor that you hear at powwows. Um, they have roll calls for, you know, vendors to sell their stuff so you can support Native artists and find them in huge numbers like you you know, you're always looking for the rest of the year. They're all right there at the Facebook page with the social distance powwow. Um, people submit their dances. People hold specials. People do giveaways. I mean, it's really amazing. It's all the things of because pow powwow season is being affected, which is a lot for a lot of people. That's their living right now is powwows. Mm -hmm. That's how they make their summer, you know, living. And um, those have all been canceled, you know, with all of our theaters as well. And so they're um, kind of upholding powwow culture online. It's really been a beautiful place to gather. There's one now, an offshoot that started, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's for Alaska Native um, dancers. Um, so folks from Alaska uh, are have are doing, they're different, um, they're hosting a different storyteller or singer or um, whatever musician every night that does a live feed of, of beautiful music and storytelling from Alaska Native folks. And um, that's online as well on the Facebook. Mm. The Facebook wow. has this. Yeah, there's the a Facebook. lot of great places. That yeah. sounds like a fun thing maybe for you to watch with your daughter, Will. It sounds pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, and I was just thinking it's, it's um, yeah, I'm excited to see that. Uh, and we're, we're having a fairly natural experience. I, we, I, we live in New York, but left about almost a month ago just because it, it started as I thought, well, let's just let's get out of town. And I was going to go see my mom who's 90. And then my brother said, ah, you know what, maybe <laughs> why don't you guys, it said, it looked for a little bit like we might just be this little family in a rented car on the East coast, trying to find a place to take us in. But I, um, a friend had an empty apartment up in New Hampshire. And so we've sort of hunkered down up here. And of course it is an incredibly strange time. And, and also my daughter is, is five. So she's, right smack in the middle of learning to read um mm. so in the midst of all this other stuff there's this incredibly exciting thing happening where this whole this her her journey into this whole other world of 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 of, of reading is is beginning um and we're also getting out we're we're, we're walking at least once a day and there's pretty beautiful walks around here in the woods mm. um uh which is feels so incredibly lucky and i feel Truly, I um, I'll say her name. Hillary Taylor is a great friend of my sister's, and 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 mine and our family. And my sister lives over there in Sandy, Oregon. Right. Um, and uh, Hillary has been such a an amazing person to let us stay in this place. I I want to I'm going to print up a picture of her to hang over our kitchen table at home. So just kind of like FDR, she'll be over there over the kitchen table for my daughter to remember who was this incredible person who helped us out uh, in the mm. midst of this really, really chaotic and scary and sad time. It's so weird, but I was reading an article uh, 
uh, actually in an interview with Larissa yesterday, and there was this term used called the Hunka family, and you were speaking to your growing up, Larissa, but I wondered if Hunka is maybe part of the etymology of the word hunker down. I, well, Any ideas? Lakota, I doubt it. <laughs> it's a Lakota word. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it's one of our most sacred site uh, rituals, actually, the seven sacred rituals of Lakota people. Um, so it's a little different, but, you know, same concept of that chosen chosen family um, being more, every, like the, the easy way to describe it is that, you know, everyone has a biological family, but if you can find a family that's hunka, that's um, chosen, that, that that's extra special. That's a special blessing and gift. And so that's really like what Will's talking about, right, is, is, is making sure his daughter respects that hunka kind of connection, that the chosen family connection that they were gifted there. Yeah. Wow. That was, that's neat. And, and it actually leads so perfectly into my next question or kind of thought, which is last time I was talking to Will, he talked about a wonderful mentor, Jim, and I can't remember his last name at Signature. Uh, Houghton. And you used a term that he loved call about a word, collision. And I just am finding that word it always inspires me, these magical ways that, you know, that term hunka speaking to Hillary and you and Larissa now having this connection with that word. And Jim really put that word in, into, I guess, in the theatrical lexicon. He he created that incredible space at Signature that allowed artists and patrons and people to kind of collide, in quotes. Um, you know, how, 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 do you have thoughts about that word and, and how it is kind of in your world now? Just quick, I I certainly do, and I I think it is amazing. It just at a, at a time like now where we are all maybe a little wary of each other, and we're wiping things down, and we're wearing masks and all that stuff. It just it it's good to remember. Um, this is just one little lifeless scrap of RNA or whatever whatever a virus is. Uh, it's very mysterious to me, but I just it is a, an amazing time to remember all of the incredibly healthy and life-giving and and hilarious things that we we share and we spread <laughs> either intentionally or unintentionally uh, mm-hmm. so absolutely in terms of co- co- collisions it's it it's it's funny i guess we are we are really really limiting and and um kind of narrowing down those those areas in which we collide um and so i guess maybe they're now they're more they're more sp- Maybe they're a little more special now, something like that, or they're certainly a little more thoughtful and considered. But yeah, it's it's. it's um, I remember just to go back to my sister for one second. I remember after September 11th, she said she said an interesting thing just in that that glow glowy moment a few mm-hmm. months afterward when people were kind of it just the whole world had this kind of special feel like New York City feels in the middle of a big snowstorm where everyone's just a little bit nicer and a little little more present or something like that. I, I remember my sister saying, and it's a very strange, might seem strange, but I know in the moment it was very clear. She said, I, I can't, what would we, what would we have done if this hadn't happened? And of course she was not grateful for the event. She was grateful for the thing that the event inspired. And it, it's, it's really exciting to me. And it feels very hopeful to think of what what the new highly 
I hope highly conscious, <laughs> highly thoughtful way we might approach each other might become following following this episode here. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I felt that the the challenging part, or maybe the growing part for me, is that container in which I'm looking to that glowing part of the world, and then also remaining in contact with, you know, the the herder, the more hurting part. Right. Um, and it, it kind of leads me to, you know, the question of how will history be written and by whom? You know, I'm thinking about how this event will be depicted in, in writing, and I wondered if either of you are writing something I was going to say about it in quotes, but I'm sure it's going to influence your writing from here on out. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, for me, yes. And no, I, uh, I mean, you know, I think all of us, I'm sure Will is experienced, you know, we're, we're being asked to do a lot of writing right now, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. in the moment, you know, so I've, I've done a few things, um, for different folks, but, that are about actually the moment we're in and, and, and from this, uh, this particular point of view for this moment. Um, so I, I've done a few of them. Um, personally, I mean, I'll be honest, when you're talking about collision, sorry, I'm kind of stumbling around here, but when you're talking about collision, it just brought up. So it just feels like my everyday right now. Right. Because it's um, trying to balance, you know, the 11 AM check-in with my family every day to see if they're, they're surviving the, you know, the online memorial yesterday for Diane, the, all the strange things and taking care of my elderly parents who are with us. And, and then I'm, I'm so fortunate that I have a, a, I have a Disney movie that got greenlit just as this all started. So I'm, so I'm writing a Disney movie at the same time, which is great because it's gonna, you know, we don't have to worry about the fact that theater has shut down. Um, And so it's just a weird, it feels like a constant collision of strange things you know thank goodness I have a job and I can do this job every day but it's very much right now a job and not um you know people um talking a lot about what they're creating right now and having this just drive to create you know online theater and all these things and I was like gosh it's the last thing I want to do right now I just you know I just want to do my job put my hours in at my job and then just take care of my loved ones um uh yeah so so right now like the thought of writing about any of this sounds horrible but I'm Mm. sure many people will and I'm sure it's eventually it'll come out in its own way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like the Thanksgiving play was my reaction play to the um, last presidential election, which doesn't seem like that at all, but that's how it comes out for me. I never write, I, I'm not someone who writes specifically about things that you can maybe identify in, in today, but they are a reflection of that, of the outcome of that. Um, Susanna, you, I remember you had mentioned that that article, I think is BuzzFeed. I can't remember about. Uh, oh, it's yeah. medium.com. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know if you saw that, Larissa. I looked after Susanna had sent it along. Yeah, and, I read it. But, um, the Forgotten say, Art of Assembly or Why Theater Makers Should Stop Making by Nicholas Berger. Right. Um, and I, I know you said there was there was vigorous head shaking. Yes. And vig- vigorous fist pounding. No. And I, I can't I can't be either one of those. I actually thought there you know, there was um, some some good some good points there. Some it, there's there's a slightly different way to say what is being said, which is just that it's probably always better to wait a little time, <laughs> wait a little while before you um, start thinking that you're going to capture uh, the essence of something. Um, 
And I, I always think of the, uh, there's an amazing place in New York called the Irish Hunger Memorial, which is probably um, is my favorite uh, public monument to a, to a, a, to mourning or to a, to a sad event, but it, it appeared about a hundred years, you know, I think it took about a hundred years for that thing to arrive in New York or more. Um, <laughs> and it's right down near the nine 11 Memorial, which I also think is fairly um, successful as a, as a place to let you feel feelings. But I, I, um, I always think it's probably all right to, to hold off a little and, and just sit, sit with the thing for a while before you are scrambling. And certainly there were people, Christopher Hitchens would probably be a great guy to have around to, uh, to write about this thing. Mm. Um, uh, anyway. Hmm. So I, I would venture that you both think it's important. And like you just said, to take time to grieve and mourn the human loss and the loss of our lives before COVID 19. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, in our, it's so, you know, weird because you know, Diane Rodriguez just passed from cancer and we we're all like, wait a minute, we're so busy, like writing down COVID. We told like cancer just, it's still there, you know, just snuck in behind us, you know, and a lot mm-hmm. of, I've been seeing so many of those. And um, yeah, I think all of it is just, yeah, I think there, there's certainly, I, I honestly, I just feel like right now people should just do whatever it is they feel like they should do as long as it's not hurting anybody else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, mm-hmm. that's what I thought of that article. It's like, yeah, always this is the case, but especially now people should just, you know, mind your own business, do what you need to do. And as long as it's not hurting anybody, you know, if you don't want to make theater, which for, for instance, I don't right now, <laughs> you know, like don't make theater. If you, if you want to put stuff online, put stuff online. If you want to, write a virus play, write a virus play, you know, do whatever it is you need to do. And, and that should always be the case, but especially now when people are, are so raw and there's so many collisions of emotions and worlds happening at once. Mm-hmm. It, it also, I think in that, in that article, it, I, I think there's, you can make, you can make a mistake of interpreting what is essentially a kind of theater business marketing pitch, which is we're going to keep putting things online and we're going to, we want to keep our audiences engaged and all that stuff. And that's not necessarily a philosophical statement on, <laughs> on, on what theater is and what it needs totally. to do, you know, it, uh, cause I think, you know, I just was, it was always the case that there, uh, that there was something we were somehow at risk either emotionally or physically, you know, there's something in a great way dangerous about a bunch of people getting together to sit in the dark. And that, that will be the case. And anyway, I, I think I'm, I'm starting the, um, the scrambledness and this, the disparateness of us all sitting here, um, in our different (laughs) ski towns across the world is is starting (laughs) to hit hit me a little bit. uh, I've, I've been thinking about, uh, the flu pandemic of 1918 and I was, you know, of course the roaring twenties scooted in right after. Do either of you have a, a look, a peek into the future, in regard to that, or is that just way out there? That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, no, I hadn't either, actually. So, yeah, that's. I think you have the peak into the future, Susanna. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I again, like it. It keeps. I think maybe I hope um, that that was a response of those days, which kind of said, "Let's sh- pretend that never happened." And I don't. I hope we're going somewhere new. That's going to include you know, the whole picture. 
Right. But it's, you know. it's funny when you said who's going to write the history, because I wonder, you know, um, there, of course, was many, many other things. There, there was a thousand other um, adjectives uh, you could use <laughs> other than roaring to describe tw- the 20s for, I'm sure, a bunch of people, you know. Um, yes. Uh, but somehow it was deemed important to pitch to pitch it to the world that that's that's a big part of what was happening there and um uh yeah i really really hope that um it, you know it could just be that the good people will get a little bit gooder the bad people will get a little better uh, <laughs> um and that's about it you know um right. I, don't, I don't know so you um, mentioned some things you're enjoying online larissa are you enjoying some stuff online as well will you know, in addition to the powwows. And I mean, I, I really love this site that I came upon in the New Yorker called Art at a Time Like This. Oh, I don't which know that. Is, oh. oh, it's just really cool. It's, uh, let's see if I can find it here. It's curated by two women and just shares many artists' work and some words that are surrounding it or some words some not words some just pictures graphic art it's 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 a really cool site art at a time like this dot com i think but i'll double check yeah it's it's cool anything else that you're really loving looking at or with your daughter or with friends yeah. or family? well we saw the new trolls movie which is not as i did not like as much as the first trolls movie but she thought it was great um oh, uh, so mainly it's it's there's a funny little Canadian show called Grizzy Grizzy and the Lemmings, and it's about a grizzly bear and these lemmings who are always <laughs> stealing his sofa and uh-huh. uh, raiding his refrigerator and stuff like that. And the upshot is there's this incredible interest in lemmings around the house, and um, so I don't, <laughs> that's I we actually I don't have much time. Crazily, I don't have. It seems like any time to do anything except uh, play and wipe down groceries and cook and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> anyway, that's there's many many worse arrangements of a life. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Was, anything I've, else? Yeah, I've really been just watching. My husband banned me from social media for a while, um, mm. so, which was a good good move on his behalf. Um, so I, yeah, I, I pretty much, I, I go and find a couple of stupid dog and cat videos every day, mm-hmm. um, share them with my family and we laugh and laugh and that's pretty much it. I'm trying to stay off and I don't read anything about COVID really. Um, mm-hmm. I just look for the updates locally, like, you know, anything, you know, we now have to wear masks everywhere or we, now, you know, different things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I look for those updates quickly twice a day and then I just stay off the internet. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing how much more time it takes to live. I see why like pioneer women, for instance, <laughs> they were exhausted. Oh my gosh. Cause they had to also then grind this flour that I was fortunate to be able to buy up here and, you know, and do all those things like uh, it just baking, you know, we're baking bread and our bread and cooking all our meals and, and doing all that. Just, it takes a lot more time. My gosh, mm. we, my husband and I are fortunate. We eat out probably 80% of our, our meals usually. Um, so this is taking up a lot of our day. I will say I'm surprised. So I had a kind of a funny, silly question for you guys and you can go in and out of each other's response or do one at a time, whatever works. So if you could invite four guests to a dinner party that could be at your favorite restaurant or at home where the food and drink would be delivered, who would you invite 
and what would be served. Oh, wow. And I, I'm going to, so Will, that would include you, your wife, and your daughter, and Larissa, you and your husband. So four guests, you have like a badass party. Um. <laughs> well, mm. I, I'm sorry to be a downer, but I would um, have my um, my family member and her husband, for sure, because that would mean mm. she made it. So that would be the first two people, for sure. Because mm-hmm. that means she survived this. Um, yeah. We were supposed to be together several times in the past couple of months that didn't happen and for various reasons. So um, that's the most important one for me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I that um, I hope I really, really hope I hope things. It, wh- where is your your person? Are they nearby? Or are they across? The yeah, country or? they're yeah. here in the valley. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, I hope I hope something good happens. Um, mm-hmm. Soon, um, yes. I can't, I I would love to lift it all up with uh, Einstein and blah blah blah. But um, I, since you mentioned <laughs> since since you mentioned Jim Houghton and you, I can't remember if you said mm. they can be living or dead. I it would be um, I would love to just sit. Uh, Jim Jim got to meet Albertine, my daughter, when she was just about four months old, something like that. She was really she was right in the middle of the beginning of kind of being wary of of people who were not her mom or dad and i and jim just he just loved babies and he grabbed her and he he grabbed both her little tiny hands and started making her punch him in the face with a really funny sort of (laughs) comic comic strip sound effect of (laughs) hey why are you hitting me albertine why are you hitting me and she really she instantly loved that and uh um and i say this as much a credit to the living people I love who I can't wait to sit down and have dinner with. I just, I would love to, I would love to sit down and have a not even great meal that, you know, could be McDonald's, a bunch of McDonald's and sit around with uh, some people who I can't sit around with anymore ever again, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's so fun to hear. I never got to meet Jim. So it's really, I've heard a lot of stories. Lovely to hear these. Um, you know, he's, he's one of the, He's, he's, you know, these terrible people in the world who you just keep finding out more and more terrible things. It's 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 just the opposite of that. And it doesn't matter where I am. It turned out my um, primary care physician, she said, oh, wow, you do, you do theater stuff, don't you? Because I, I used to do that. And I, I have to admit my, my heart sank a tiny bit because I thought, oh, do I want a writer as my doctor? Do I want a <laughs> do I want yeah. an actor as my? Do-? But she said, oh, I was a, I was a stage manager, which oh, as, that's the one thing you would want. <laughs> oh, that's the absolute person you would want as your primary care physician. But I she love told that. It, she told this yeah. amazing story. She said, when I was in med school, I was still in the union, and when I needed a little bit, of, you know, twenty more hours. To get to keep my insurance, I would call up Jim Houghton and say, "Hey Jim, is there anything going on? You got a workshop or a reading I can stage manage?" And Jim would always find something. And so, and that was just you know, there are just are a thousand stories. And like it's it's like it it's like the picking up a rock and and or you know whatever the the um, the metaphor for the bad people where you keep finding out worse things. He's just mm. this amazing person where you just keep finding out the most amazing, you know, the furthest afield you could get from 
being in a theater there i was in a examination room with my a new doctor and she's saying oh yeah i know yeah. that guy and he really really helped me out when i really needed help hmm. that's so awesome hmm. yeah he's a good good guy are both of you, this is a really wacky question, but I'm, I just, I'm wearing my pajama bottoms and then from the waist up, I'm dressed. Are you guys fully dressed or how are you garbing yourself at this time? <laughs> um, I'm dressed. When I started working from home, you know, but, you know, I haven't been doing theater all that long, but when I started working at home full time, um, the two rules I was given by those much more experienced with me than me was you may never turn on daytime television. That includes the news and you must get dressed every day. So um, I get dressed every day and go to work. So, yeah. Um, I'm also fully dressed. <laughs> um, but I just came, I did, our, I did our grocery shopping at this Walmart that's about 20 miles away. And even though they, I've just, we've just always got, I've, I've just tried to go totally overboard on all the precautions. So I, I, took stripped down outside the house and uh, grabbed a towel and then took a shower and I've got to go pick up my clothes out sitting in the, <laughs> on the front lawn uh, after this, uh, after this phone call and, and do some grocery wiping with the tongs, pick up right. your clothes with the tongs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The grocery yeah. wiping is, I'm just, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. I, I've actually quit. So my doctors have said they don't do it. So yeah. I decided okay. to let it go. Yeah, I was thinking like that really, really awesome. I've got that weed sprayer, you know, in the backyard. And I thought, you know, I could fill that up with um, Clorox, which my grandma, you know, in in heaven is like, oh, Clorox is back. Fabulous. (laughs) And I could could, like mix Clorox up with water and I could spray all my stuff out back. I think that Mm. might be the way I go, but it might soak through. I got to think on that. Yeah. 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 You have to be careful with the cardboard stuff because not a a lot of it'll it'll absorb it and then it goes into your food. So you want to be really careful with those. So what do I do with the cardboard (laughs) stuff? Like I said, the doctors say you don't have to do it. That's a myth that you need to wipe any of this down. So, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) Well, I I can't thank you guys enough for spending time with me and um, just super grateful, Larissa. that you did this in the midst of, of the hurt. I know um, I'm grateful for that. And will you also just a delight. And I'm so glad that you two got to meet each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's very nice. You have a great voice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. 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 It's at my pajama bottoms. It just inspires me. <laughs> um, uh, Susanna, you do you do have a great voice, but I actually meant that one for La- for Larissa. Larissa, has a great, <laughs> oh for heaven's sake! Yeah. Oh, there you go. And you know Mike, <laughs> and old Mike. Oh Mike, Mike. Mike. Um, Mike and his Meyer lemons. Yeah. Hey, could I say one thing? As this has been so lovely and such a nice departure from the the normal run of things, um, could I just say one thing, quick? Of course, you just, can say two things. Well, um, <laughs> it just it um it's so it's so easy to see with a wonderful five-year-old around the house that that this time is meaningful and that there's growth happening and that there's some things are being learned. And I guess I just was just offering that, that that's happening with all of us. And even if, even when it's hard to see, um, I know that we're all, we're learning something here in April that we will have with us in August and in November and in April again. Um, 
that that's all. Just I, I feel really lucky having having a little kid around um, because it reminds me that this time is real and 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 time is time is meaningfully passing, even though it seems sort of undifferentiated or something like that sometimes. Mm. That's beautiful. Larissa, you have anything else you'd like to say before we sign off? Uh, no, I'm just excited to see you all again in person soon. I'm, yeah, you know, me too. I, every time I see someone writing the new normal, I'm like, no, it's not. It's going to end. It, this is this is not the new normal. It will end. And yeah. and I'm really excited. I'm looking, you know, whatever happens during this time, I'm, I'm, I am very excited and hopeful for the next time. Yeah. Uh, Jim Houghton will hang with me today, and I'll think about him every time there's a new collision. And this was my favorite collision so far. Oh, great. Well, he, yeah, he talked about organized, organized collisions, which is you have absolutely organized this one. So that's so thanks. <laughs> oh, and my pleasure. Uh, just right. both of you have a wonderful rest of your day, and I send you much love. Uh, much love back. Thank you. Yeah. Take care, everybody. See you. you too. Bye. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. I'm Susanna Mars. It is really hard right now not to be spending time in person with friends and collaborators. That is what I do mostly, is make stuff with other people. So this is the next best thing in continuing to chat with friends who are creatives, keeps me inspired. I met Kate Ristaw when I interviewed her last summer at the Mississippi Street Fair. She's a folklorist, an author, and the executive director of Willamette Writers. She's had essays in the New York Times and the Washington Post. She's the author of the middle grade series Clockbreakers and the young adult series Shadow Girl. You can find her online at kateristaw.com, which is K-A-T-E-R-I-S-T-A-U.com. Hey, Kate. Hi, it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you. It's great to be with you, too. So I met Aaron Fitzpatrick Bjorn, let me see here, when my oldest daughter was in middle school, maybe um, <clears throat> 13 years ago? Just a minute or two ago. That's right. I, I had to find a way to volunteer, also known as spy, on my daughter <laughs> and see what was really going on in middle school in a way that kept me out of my daughter's sight. So I sneaked off to work in the library where I found this amazing woman, just kind of well, talking a lot to kids mostly, and that is what I really like. So I just immediately gravitated to her. Uh, she's an amazing human and a photographer. She's been an educator for 32 years, first as an English teacher, then transitioning to the role of certified school librarian. She has worked at all levels, elementary, middle school, high school, and at the district level over the course of her library career. In 2009, she was named as Oregon's Secondary School Librarian of the Year by the Oregon Association of School Libraries. And in 2010, her library was chosen as Oregon's Best as part of the American Association of School Librarians' School Library Vision Tour. She is definitely the least quiet librarian I have ever met. Hey, Erin. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Oh, you know, it's crazy, right? How have you guys been? Well, we've been pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been a big adjustment, that's for sure, because we are also pretty social creatures, but we're getting through. Yeah, Kate, how about you guys? Yeah, we've been saying that we're good with just a giant asterisk because there's so many other things that, you know, you say good and then you fall into everything else that's happening. So we're we're happy to spend a lot of time with like 
with each other, like all my family and, um, and be at home together. But at the same time, um, if we hear any random screaming in the podcast or dog, dog barking, that would be um, the rest of my family. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe because so many of the zoom meetings I've had have been accompanied by children screaming and dogs barking. I think, um, this will probably be one of the greatest, um, what do, how do I put this population control measures ever taken? <laughs> it may very well be. It may very well be. It but, might also be the best thing that ever happened to teachers in the sense that parents are going to have a whole new kind of vision of what we do every day. That's right. And I mean, I've read so many Facebook posts and Instagram and Twitter about that, this reality of what you're doing, Erin, and how is it for you as an educator from home right now? How How is um, your school handling that? Uh, well, in some senses, we had a pretty good advantage. I teach at a private school, and we were a one-to-one school already where the kids all had iPads, and we've done a lot of digital work already, so they're very familiar with you know, their devices and different programs and how to use their iPads. They're super facile at that, way better at it than I am, of course. Um, <laughs> and and so that, I think, helped them. But the social piece of high school is just so important. And it's so important for the kids. It's so important for the teacher-student relationship. And I think that's been really, really hard for all of us to adjust to. Um, and, you know, I don't we're doing as many things as we can to try and keep the kids interested. You know, we're doing Instagram stuff. We're doing wellness week. We're doing, you know, all the kinds of things that we can think of to keep them engaged and to keep them having some sort of social relationship with each other. But it's really, really difficult. And I think that's that's the part that makes it super hard. You can do all the content you want. You can try to, to provide content for kids. But school is about so much more than content and providing content without having a relationship. It's super challenging. That's really interesting. And I I see you nodding in agreement, Kate, because I actually get to see you in this context. Um, And I know you have a young child. Can you also, I'm sure you have much to add to that. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's the thing of my nine-year-old um, right now is on a Zoom call with his um, with his class, and it, he's at a Montessori school, so it's a class of first through third graders um, right now. And, um, you know, so the teacher, you know, all of the normal classroom management things that you have to do, right? Um, but then you also have, you know, my nine-year-old son who's like putting pushing all the chat buttons and finding the reactions and giving thumbs up and jumping around in his chair, you know. Um, so it just adds this entirely different element. And we had to have a discussion yesterday. He was having a ukulele lesson, like on Zoom. And I had to talk to him about how, like, you know, his teacher is still right in front of him. So, like, you know, just kind of like the etiquette of Zoom and being <laughs> being taught. <laughs> so that has been interesting. And the other thing that's been interesting is I work with Willamette writers. And, um, you know, we've been doing a lot of training of writers of, like, because our population of writers is from, you know, young kids to older adults and just getting them used to Zoom and used to interacting in these ways. So they kind of don't like, yeah, everything just doesn't go quiet for them. Because if you're not doing these online things, like it can get really lonely. 
Yeah, it's a fine line, you know, it really is. You, you both bring up such great points, things that I know we're all thinking about and asterisking responses to digest the amount of newness that is running toward us every day. So, Kate, I know you're going to read something with us today, which I thought would be especially fun to have Erin with, since she's an expert in the youth world of, of writing. And I'm uh, So I'm reading from Shadow Queen, which is uh, my second book in the Shadow Girl series, and it's actually coming out next week. Um, and we're going to be launching it at Annie Bloom's Books, but online in a Zoom call. Um, and so I have all the books already at my house and I'll be signing and people will be able to like, you know, interact in the Zoom call and I'll be able to do a reading um, and talk to people. Um, but yeah, it's a totally different experience than a normal book launch. Yeah, that's really cool too, I think, for us to be able to do a shout out to Annie Blooms uh, because independent bookstores are really needing our support right now. And I know they are really pedaling as fast as they can to catch up with this new way of making business, which is going to be wonderful, I think, ultimately. But right now, I think it's it's pretty challenging. Yeah, it's challenging. And it's um, I, I 100% agree that the independent bookstores are kind of what what make this Portland literary community really possible, like Owls to Broadway Books to Annie Blooms um, to all the other ones too, that like they have the readings and their support for local authors actually makes it possible for local authors to kind of keep writing and um, and get involved and interacting in the community. So shout out to all of them. They're doing a really great job. Yeah. And librarians like Aaron who keep authors coming to schools and keep those conversations alive with real people and I was a part of your mother-daughter book group with both my kids. And there was, you know, that was just such a beautiful, beautiful way to be with each other, moms and daughters, and with the authors you'd bring in. It was just a blast. Yeah, super fun. And makes writing as a profession something interesting and possible for kids, too, when they get to see that. So I, I really love that idea of bringing an author in isn't just about what they wrote, although obviously that's an awesome part of it, but just giving kids that vision of, oh, that could be a job. I could do that. I really love that piece of, of letting kids see authors. Yeah, me too. So Kate. All right. So I'm reading actually from chapter five. Um, and this book series comes out of um, Irish mythology and mythology and folklore about fairies. Um, so this is uh, this is a story from an Irish girl's perspective um, of when she was a kid, um, but she's older now, but she's having a dream, so a memory. A memory then. Nana sitting on the bed, smoothing her hair, warm down, soft breath, whispering into the night. And that's all that ever was and ever will be, she said. Hennessy raised her head, pulling up from the edge of sleep. Tell another, Nana. Nana nudged her back toward the pillow. Go to sleep, Garagnon. Just one more, Hennessy said. I can't sleep. It's dark. It's loud. The thunder broke, rumbling over the thatched roof. Hennessy grabbed a hold of Nana's robe. It's just the rain, Nana said, tucking the blanket back around her shoulders. Little hill, Hennessy asked. A flash of lightning lit up the room. The rain pounded against the thin roof, and she tensed beneath the blankets, waiting for the next crack of the sky. Fine, Nana whispered, patting her head softly. Last one. That's it. No words but mine. Hennessy snuggled deeper under the covers, finding the cool part of the pillow and pulling it closer so she still felt the warmth of Nana beside her. 
So before we go into this, um, this is always the thing that I think about where we have these stories that we tell to our kids and that we tell in our family. And this is like um, Nana sitting down to tell a story to Hennessy. So in a time that was and a time that wasn't, there lived a beautiful Irish girl. She was strong and smart and lovely, more like you than not, but she was naive, like a filly just stretching her legs in the spring. Her mother knew it would get her into trouble one day, but there's only so much a mother can do. She raised her right with the old ways. She held her close until she could hold her no more. Then she let her be and hoped her hopes, as all mothers do. Well, that little Kaylin was walking home one night, one midsummer night from a Kaylee. She had had a grand night, and her ma even let her stay on after she had gone along. The girl promised she would walk with a friend, but one thing led to another, and she found her feet walking home alone. The night was dark, like only a midsummer night can be, and the rain fell in sheets down her hair, soaking her deep down to her bones. She stumbled down the lane, tired and cold, until she came to the clearing before the bridge. The rain stopped, all at once, as if it had never been and never would be again. She looked up toward the sky in wonder. When her eyes fell back down, standing before her was a man in a dark green cloak. His eyes shone gold against his pale skin. Who was he? Hennessy asked. Shh, child, come, come, all in time. These things can't be rushed, you know. Nana's warm hand ran over her hair again. She was not afraid. She asked him right off, did you stop the rain? He tilted his head, then smiled slowly. I did not. She took a cautious step toward him. His eyes were beautiful and his cloak was fine, well made without a spot of water on it. Why aren't you wet? She asked. His smile broadened. You see much, more than most, but you are young. There are things you wouldn't understand. She shook her head, splashing water back onto her face. Tell me then, she said. I want to know. His eyes flickered in the darkness, the gold calling to her, pulling on her skin. I cannot tell you. Her mouth opened in protest, but he held out his hand and whispered but I can show you. She hesitated for only a moment before reaching out and taking his hand. No, Hennessy said, that's stupid. Is it? Nana asked. If the Fay came calling for you, would you turn away? That's different, Hennessy said. That guy, he sounds creepy. <laughs> Do not fear what you don't understand. She tucked the covers around Hennessy, then stood to go. Who was he? Hennessy asked. Nana paused, then continued toward the door. Hennessy would have to wait, another story, another tale, all in time, off to bed, little one. Sleep is ready for you now. The other world awaits. But Nana turned back before she closed the door, standing in the half-light of the hallway. A shadow king, she said. Mm. Ooh, a little Scheherazade kind of thing there, where you just leave her hanging like that. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, it has of the story where, you know, you're going to meet the fae um, and the fairies, um, but the, the fae and the fairies are always, like, a different world than us, um, and, you know, sometimes there's that, like, giggly, sparkly lightness to that, and sometimes there's this darkness of things that we don't understand and we want to know about, but don't know. I love that. It, I love her remark. He sounds creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Before you said that, I thought, sounds creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Love about uh, so the first Shadow Girl book I wrote it and you know I wrote it in two thousand nine um, and you know there's there's uh, Anya's the main character and Hennessy the Irish girl um, someone she meets along the way um, and everyone's response was like I want more Hennessy like I want to hear more from her voice so mm. 
when I went to write Shadow Queen, I split the perspectives and you have both Anya and Hennessy's story. So you have Anya, who's one of the Fae coming in um, to a story where she already knows a lot about the world and Hennessy where she's she's learning it and she has this perspective of what is going on? Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I think that's young people today are extremely sophisticated mm. and you know, intelligent. Do you, do you find, Erin, that at your library, young people are gravitating to books that, you know, kind of take that into account, this kind of knowledge, but yet still this strange immaturity and innocence? Yeah, I think so. I, that's a kind of an interesting way to put it, immaturity and innocence. I think those two things are a huge part of adolescence. And yet, at the same time, we expect them to be so grown up. We expect them to be so aware of the world and, and what's going on around them. It was kind of funny. One of my friends was talking the other day about her son. And um, in the middle of his spring break last week, he was like, why didn't we go anywhere for spring break this year? And he's 16 or 17. She's like, hello, do you not know what's going on around you? And it's like. He knows, but he doesn't really comprehend the vastness of it, really. And I think that's such an important piece of why they need literature, because it helps them to experience or see or understand or wonder about bigger things than them and things that they might not otherwise think about because they're too busy looking at their Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. Kate, do you think that at this time, a book like this, you know, kind of helps kids escape to another world for a little while? Yeah, because I think it does a lot of those things that we're talking about um, in terms of, like, Hennessy is actually, she makes her way into fairy hell, basically, plot spoiler, but, um, (laughs) so things are super terrible, like, and she's acknowledging, like, throughout the book that this is terrible, like, why is this happening, this is horrible, like, you know, and the only kind of defenses she has are, like, her iPhone, right, and her, um, you know, she's actually coming from a very modern perspective that she's talking about hashtags and talking about, um, like, this, and it's, really a big contrast between the world that she's actually in um and i think she also at the same time comes from like a background of trauma and these things that have happened in her life that like she's not fully um yeah fully dealing with it and she's just kind of getting forced in these situations where she has to confront those issues and has to kind of step into the person that she's going to be so how old is hennessy so she's 16 that 16, 17 range, um, important because that's this time where, you know, you, you're out with your friends, you're separated um, from your family in a lot of ways, like your friends are, are becoming your family um, and you're yeah, really going out in the world and figuring out who you are in that world. Mm-hmm. That really speaks to what you were talking about earlier, Erin, this idea of the socialization piece that's really being limited currently. So that's an interesting uh, parallel. Yeah. I, and I talked what you were talking about with escaping. Like, I know that one of the things that I want to do all the time is just like, I just want to stop working now and I want to go read my book, please. I just want to get out of this real world for a little bit because I just, there's so much coming at me and so much newness and so much 
different and unknown. And I just want to go to a place where I don't have to really think about any of that. I just go to my little pretend world, whatever that is this week and take some time there. That's so interesting in a way, because this new world is giving us, or at least for me, when I get into a book, I'm trusting that author to take me somewhere safe, you know, and it feels a little different than when there was all this uh, quote-unquote certainty, which we all know, asterisk, (laughs) you know, that now we're trusting authors even more in a way to take care of us on on a journey in a book. Yeah, definitely. And I 100% see that um, happening the best in middle grade. Like just personally, I think that middle grade is so rich and wonderful and beautiful right now. Those books that are written for like anything from third to sixth graders, um, sometimes even a little older, um, because it's where they're they're dealing with, um, you know, big feelings and you can acknowledge those big feelings and work through those big feelings. Um, but then they can also still see the world with like this innocence and this joy, like that, um, you don't see in a lot of other books. So I totally, during this time, I'm finding myself like picking up like middle grade and picking up younger books to see like, yeah, what the world could be like. That's a thought. I, I have quite a lot of young author or what should I say? Youth I have a lot of kids' books <laughs> still youth here. Fiction, we might call it youth fiction, and uh, that's a great point. You know, it 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 really shows a part of our world or other worlds that have so much hope and you know that youthful optimism, literally. Yeah, I definitely think more youthful optimism is not a bad thing at this point. At any point, really, but especially now. So uh, any uh, thoughts from either of you about various places to look online for inspiration? Um, Well, I mean, like, I'm actually finding, surprisingly, I've been super happy about um, one of the kind of pluses is that, like, all my social media, not all, but a lot of my social media, there's way more positive stuff now that I've been noticing than I was noticing before, before all this came on, there was, you know, I'd say three quarters of my feed was more negative, not negative, but yeah, kind of negative. And, um, and now I'm seeing like a lot of people are creating, they're trying to promote positive things. They're trying to lift people up, you know, Monday motivation and Thursday thoughts and Sunday fun day and that kind of stuff. It was always there, but now I think it's a lot more prevalent. And so I'm finding a lot of joy in in just like scrolling through things like that. You can obviously got get caught up in the in the less fun parts of social media too, but I that's kind of just a side note that I've noticed. Yeah, I think that joy and like the um the sharing of everyday things that are happening because I don't think I saw that as much before this where people will just talk about um, yeah, mundane things or things that like bring them joy that they weren't expecting and um, or even things that they're struggling with. And then other people are commenting more and interacting and sharing with each other. And yeah, that's the, that's the kind of stuff that makes a lot of this easier is seeing what other people are doing and seeing that other people still exist. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, we've been doing this Artslandia happy hour, which has been so inspiring to see artists 
kind of calling to their communities to join together, meeting other artists, you know, remotely. Um, it's a nice way to be together. And so I, I definitely think some lovely things are, you know, there's some good fruit being born and keeping in mind uh, that kind of con- can't have now, which is such a treasure. I'm really looking forward to it coming back. Yeah, I was actually, um, I was reading through a lot of the stuff that you had written, Kate, last night. And um, one of the things that you wrote, I think it was after Rowan's surgery, um, in one of those columns, and you said, um, we've had all of you supporting to us, listening to us, loving us. And at the end of it all, that's what I see. And that's what I want to keep seeing. Hands holding tight, lifting each other up and shining our light into the darkness with the power of unrelenting kindness. And I just thought that was like, I'm all a little bit joked up reading it, but it was so beautiful. And it was just like, you wrote that, I don't know, several years ago. Mm. And it's just so pertinent to what's happening now. It's like, we have to lift each other up and bring each other together and be kind. And I think these ways, you know, this, the social happy hours that people are having online, uh, I've had more online happy hours than I ever could have imagined possible since this all started, but it's so good. It's like so uplifting and just brings people together in a way that's, you know, fun and enlightening everything up. And I think that's so important. I can't think of a better way to close this podcast. And I just wanted Kate, if you could refresh everyone's memory as to when your book will be dropped. And I think this podcast will come out next Wednesday, but I'm not sure how that, where that is around where your book is coming out. So then the book will be out. It comes out on April 28th um, and you can find it at, you know, online anywhere. You can find it at um, any of our local bookstores online. Um, the great thing about Annie Blooms right now too, is that they're, um, if you order books online, they're delivering within like a three mile radius too for free. So they'll just drop them off at your door. Like, mm. um, so yeah, you can, you can find it anywhere. And I, I'm, I'm excited for it. Like I've been waiting a long time for this one to happen. And I love like, just, it's about a bunch of women kind of coming into their own. And in the end of the book, it's just powerful women and yeah. And what happens. So. I just recently did a play for artist rep uh, that was set in Scotland. And so when I read the work and I saw Kaylee, which when you read the book, anyone who's listening, you'll be fascinated how Kaylee is spelled. <laughs> it's <laughs> it is very weird. Irish Scottish uh, works do end up at some point in hell. So that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't make you guys listen to my Irish accent. It's pretty terrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks so much for uh, talking to me. It's just wonderful to spend time together. You yeah, too. It was great to have you both. It was nice to meet you. Yeah. I'm so glad you guys got to meet yeah. me too. <laughs> Another silver lining from the coronavirus. Asterisk. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to start using that all the time. I've already used it like nine <laughs> times in our conversation. So perfect. Oh, much love to you both. You all right. Too. Take care. Thanks, Susanna. Thanks, mm-hmm. Kate. Bye. Bye, Erin. Bye. Bye, Kate. Thanks for listening to Adventures in Artslandia. 